Turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Coming from chapter 3 into chapter 4, we see Jesus leaving Jerusalem uh, on his way to Galilee. It seems that uh, circumstances are such that he deems it wise at this point in time in his ministry to uh, leave the circumstances uh, or surrounding himself being in Jerusalem and in that area and to depart into Galilee to the north uh, that would be more remote and perhaps a little more friendly. Uh, still rather early in his ministry and uh, his hour had not yet approached or, or come. So we're going to look at chapter 4 <coughs> which entails the journey that uh, Jesus makes from Jerusalem uh, into Galilee and, and what happens along the way. Uh, perhaps it's providential that uh, we're studying chapter 4. It's already been referenced several times yesterday for those of you who were here for the uh, evangelism workshop on Friday night and then uh, during the day on Saturday. Even in David's lessons uh, recently leading up to the uh, workshop, uh, chapter 4 of John ha has been referenced, and the reason being is because we see Jesus, uh, we know him as the master teacher, but here we see him as the master evangelist in this chapter. And so a lot of what we're going to be looking at today as we get into chapter 4 and look at this encounter with the woman at the well, uh, we'll be repeating somewhat, but repetition is the mother of learning and it won't do us any harm to look at these things over and over again. Let's begin by reading uh, verses 1 through 4 of the text. John 4, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. And your translation may read, he had to go through Samaria. But let's uh, look at this. I think before we get into this, we're, we're going to be talking about uh, a woman, uh, a Samaritan woman, and Jesus' encounter with her. We all probably know uh, somewhat the background of the Samaritan people at the time of Christ, uh, but just... To refresh our memories, we know that the Samaritans were, uh, I guess you could call a, a half-breed. Uh, they were descendants of the Jews who originally inhabited uh, the northern kingdom back in days gone before. Uh, but then uh, they had been defeated 
in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians, as you recall your Bible history, and they were scattered among the pagan nations. And eventually uh, they began to drift back into the same territory, part of which uh, was the former northern kingdom. But they were no longer full-blooded Jews. And you know uh, the Jews prided themselves on their bloodline, their, their heritage. And so they looked down upon uh, this uh, people who had part Jewish blood and part non-Jewish blood in their veins. And so, uh, but nonetheless, they shared this land of Palestine with the Jews. They even claimed Abraham as their ancestor, just as the Jews did. And because they lived in the old region of the northern kingdom with Samaria as its capital, this was the reason it was called Samaria or the, and the Samaritans. But there was hatred, mutual hatred between uh, the Jews and the Samaritans. And maybe... Uh, and in particular, uh, here in verse 4 where it says, but he needed to go through Samaria, perhaps a little bit more uh, examination of uh, what constituted this hatred, what brought it about, might explain a little bit the reading here. Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Why did he need to go through Samaria, to go from Jerusalem to, uh, to Galilee, as the crow flies, you have to go through Samaria. That's, that's logical. So why is it emphasized here that Jesus needed to go through Samaria? Well, look at this hatred uh, a little bit closer. As we already mentioned, they were hated, the Jews hated the Samaritans because of their mixed bloodline, and they considered them an impure race. And they hated them because those Samaritans worship, as he mentions a little bit later on, or the woman does, in this mountain or at Bethel. And uh, you might recall that Bethel was the place of worship in the north that was established by the northern king Jeroboam uh, long before to keep the people from going all the way down to Judah, uh, to Judea, to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, so this is part of history, and uh, during the time of Christ, the Samaritans continued to worship uh, at Bethel, not Jerusalem. And they were hated for this. If they claimed to be of Abraham, they needed to be worshiping in Jerusalem. Not that they wanted them to, but <laughs> technically uh, they hated them because of this. It was the wrong place of, of worship. Uh, it's interesting, uh, as far as we know, that the Samaritans uh, claimed that Abraham was their father, but they only accepted the first five books of the scriptures known as the Pentateuch. Uh, they rejected the prophets. Uh, so these and maybe some uh, other factors uh, explain a little bit why there is this animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. And as I said, it was mutual. Uh, the Samaritans returned uh, this hate toward the Jews. 
according to the information that uh, from what we've been studying from uh, Brother Mazzalongo, he brings out the fact that uh, back in the history that the Jews had rejected the Samaritans' offer of help to rebuild the temple after the southern Jews returned from their exile in Babylon. Uh, and so for this rejection and the Jews' superior attitude, uh, the Jews had earned this reciprocal hatred from the Samaritans toward them. So it was a mutual standoff. Neither one liked uh, like the other. And so we have uh, this background to set the stage uh, for what's going to happen and uh, maybe explaining uh, a little bit about having to go. So consider that. In verse 4, it's introduced by the word but. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go. He had to go through Samaria. We've just mentioned uh, how each felt toward the other. And for any Jews in the south wanting to go to Galilee in the north, the direct and logical route was straight north. Uh, The area of Samaria roughly was about 20 miles from north to south. And so uh, that's a pretty good distance considering if uh, you're going to be walking it. Of course, Jesus and his disciples were walking from Jerusalem to uh, Samaria. It's uh, been uh, made known that many of the Jews had such an intense hatred toward the Samaritans that they would not even walk through Samaria. They would rather, as they are approaching the area of Samaria, go over to the east, and the Jordan River was the eastern boundary of all of uh, Palestine at that that time. They would rather go and cross the River Jordan and go up for about 20 miles north on the east side of the river And then after they had gotten above Samaria, crossed back across the Jordan and continued their journey into Galilee. And evidently this is what uh, most Jews did that were traveling that route. They did not want to take the logical, practical route of just going straight up. I don't know how much time this added to a person's travel, but this this emphasizes... Uh, this animosity between them. Perhaps that is why uh, the text reads, but, you know, ordinarily, Jesus and his disciples following the norm of most of the Jews at that time, going to Galilee, they would just cross over as, as a matter of routine, go up on the east side and then cross back over. But Jesus needed to go through Samaria. There was a reason. Of course, Jesus is the Son of God. He knows the hearts of men. He knows all things. Jesus knew in God's providence what would be encountered, what he would encounter in Samaria. And so he had to go. He had to go through. He needed to go through because there was a woman who in God's providence is going to be coming out 
outside the city of Sychar to Jacob's well, just at the time that Jesus is there alone and the two meet up. Jesus did not care for these norms of the Jewish people. No doubt he just thought it entirely foolish to do that. He was going to go straight through Samaria on his way to Galilee. He would have anyway, I believe. But, of course, he knew what was waiting for him. And so it is, I think, uh, we're going to be making some application throughout this chapter between what we see in Jesus and his circumstances and the way he went about things and evangelism uh, in our day and time and what we can take from this. And I think right here, obviously, uh, we talk a lot about uh, comfort zones and getting out of one's comfort zone, what you're accustomed to, what you feel easy uh, doing or your situation that you're in. But then at times when there is need for you to do something that you're not accustomed to, that you maybe are not naturally inclined to do or like to do, but needs to do in order to fulfill God's will for you in a particular circumstance. So I think it's a practical point that we need to take to heart. Instead of just talking about, uh, well, that's getting out of my comfort zone, I'd, I'd really rather not, not do that and just pat, pass it off. Uh, we're in God's providence. We're a part of God's providence. God doesn't dangle us around like puppets on strings, but he is overall, he's, from where he stands, he sees the beginning and end of every transaction everything that we do, and just in the natural course of things, in God's providence, paths cross. That's what we've been talking about this weekend, this evangelism, paths crossing. Saved people who have enjoyed and are enjoying the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and wanting to share that with those who are lost, who have not obeyed the gospel. And passing crossing paths with those who need that gospel. It can save them just as it saves you. Nothing else will save them. Nothing else could save you. And as Christians, it's good news. And what do you do with good news? You share it. You share good news. Anybody who will listen, you're going to share. How many of you have pictures of your grandchildren? That's good news. And it might not be in your wallet like you used to in the olden days, but you flip out that phone and you begin to flip. That's good news. And you, anybody that, <laughs> that will give you a moment, they're going to see your grandchildren. Well, you see the application. How much more so the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so... Jesus, on his way to Galilee, had to pass through Samaria. Sometimes we need to pass through certain areas. Andrew? I was going to make a comment that that word must, you know, if you do a word study on it, 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 it gives the idea that 
Yeah. As if he were in fetters, uh, as if he's, uh, later on he'll say that the will of God was his necessary food. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's as if he had no choice uh, but to, and, and you think of Paul's writings and the love of Christ compelled us right. as if I'm bound uh, by doing this thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Good emphasis there. Yeah, so it, so it wasn't just a matter of routine that we find Jesus taking this straight course up, but uh, he, was, uh, he was bound to do so. And the reason he was bound to do so is to fulfill the promise in the Old Testament whenever people are taking you away, I will come back and I'll visit you too. That's either Amos or Joel. Yeah. Okay, well let's move on then to verses 5 and 6. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or twelve o'clock noon. So here they are in the middle of Samaria. Uh, Samaria used to be the uh, capital of the northern kingdom, as, as we mentioned, but uh, by this time that area had been reduced uh, considerably. And Jacob's well, it was already ancient by the time that, that Jesus stops there for a rest, and uh, I understand that the well is still there. Uh, if you go to uh, Palestine, you can still see Jacob's well, I think. Maybe it has <laughs> some kind of building or shrine over it or something, but I understand that it still exists and that, that you can see it. Uh, but here is where uh, Jesus chooses to rest. And uh, the author of the material that we've been referencing uh, in the study of John uh, brings out from time to time in John that you see uh, Jesus, the Son of Man, and Jesus, the Son of God, emphasized and many times, both of them. And I think we're going to see here in chapter 4, both of them coming out abundantly. Here, Jesus, maybe this was the, maybe the second day of his uh, journey uh, to uh, Galilee, but anyway, uh, they're walking. And uh, he's tired. Or, as we say here in Lawrence County, he is tarred. Plum tarred. And keep in mind, Jesus is now in his ministry. Perhaps there's some uh, mental uh, exhaustion and then physical exhaustion from, from the journey itself. Uh, and so he chooses just to rest there. The disciples go into the city for food. But Jesus just needed to rest. He, he was human. 100% God, 100% human. What city did he go into? Samaria to buy food from Samaritans and in life? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, here uh, Jesus is. Uh, and he's sitting here by this well. Initially, by himself, try to picture this. Uh, this whole chapter, 
uh, this first part that we're going to be looking at with the encounter at the well and the woman and try to paint a, a picture of this mentally in, in your mind. Uh, outside, sort of isolated, not inside the city, uh, Jesus is by himself and, and he's tired. He's just there waiting. And uh, as uh, he is waiting, something happens. And so let's pick up the reading again with uh, verse 7. We're going to read through verse 26, and then we'll come back and, and study it. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat down by the well. It's about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God who says... Uh, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than her father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up unto everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, Call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one with whom you have now is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and the Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place one ought to worship, Jesus said to her. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And then verse 27, at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. And it goes on. 
Let's uh, examine this for just a little bit. One quick question, Larry, in uh, verse uh, 9, she knows he's a Jew. So how does she know by looking at him, I'm assuming, just by looking that he's a Jew? I don't know. That, that's what I would, would think, probably by his language or accent or something. I really don't know. But the fact remains that the Holy Spirit says here that she did recognize him as, as a Jew. Well, he was Yeah, could be. God's problems. Anyway. Interesting. Note that the woman is drawing water at the noontime, and this is not the usual time that the women, whose job it was recognized as being to provide the water, the women would usually come later on in the evening as it gets cooler with their water pots to fill at Jacob's well and to take in. But here is this woman. She's not with another group of people. She's coming uh, in the middle of the day. It's, it's hot. And uh, she comes out by herself uh, with the water pot to fill it up with, with water. Now, we'll mention in just a little bit, perhaps, a reason why she was alone in doing this. Uh, but uh, as was mentioned, she did recognize him as being a Jew, so... Here's Jesus, again, in your mind, picture it. Jesus is sitting there, and uh, perhaps he looks up, and here comes this lone figure, and, and uh, she materializes, and she's a woman, and she's a Samaritan woman. And so he begins a conversation with her, a practical conversation. He's tired, he's weary. Uh, he is speaking as the son of man, here, he's thirsty. He is really thirsty. He is human. And so he just simply asked her for a drink of water. And so she kind of rebuffs him because of the social barriers that she brings out. The man and woman barrier, here is a man here is a woman out here by themselves, away from everybody else. Don't do that. Not supposed to do that. And here is a Jew and a Samaritan, each of whom hates the other, normally speaking. And so she rebuffs him. Why are you breaking these social barriers? You're a man, I'm a woman. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. What do you think you're doing? You just... Leave me alone, let me get my water and get out of here. But uh, Jesus could have very easily let it pass. Okay, that, that's all right. My disciples are coming back in a little bit. I'll, I'll have a chance to get a drink of water and, and some food to eat. Uh, but he didn't. He engaged her. And Jesus is now speaking as the Son of God when he asks that uh, 
what he's asking is very small in comparison to what he, the Son of God, can give her. And he's offering, and he draws a parallel here. He just asked for a, a drink of literal water. And now he is moving into the spiritual realm. And he says, I can offer you living water. And uh, evidently, this might have been a familiar term. At least one reference is given by the author of the material that, that we've been using. In Jeremiah 2.13, there is a reference to living water. Jeremiah referred to God who was the source of life, truth, and light, and the living water who would punish them for their sins. I don't know how familiar uh, this term was, but anyway, Jesus uses this terminology in drawing a parallel to get into some spiritual matters uh, with the woman. And so Jesus tells her that... Uh, if she knew who he really was, that he would give her this living water. And of course, Jesus uh, is saying that uh, knowing him and knowing the truth and obtaining living water were all one and the same and wrapped up in himself. But she tells him that uh, you don't have anything to draw with and... Where are you going to get this living water? So she is being very literal here, and I guess understandably so. Uh, she is already into a conversation with this man. Uh, he's engaged her, and she is responding. And her first... Uh, reaction is very literal. He talks about living water. And you remember the account with Nicodemus? Uh, he was a teacher of the Jews. Uh, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. And yet, when Jesus talked about him about being born again, the new birth, how did he approach it? He said... This is, he, he took it literally. Lord, this is impossible. It, man can't enter into his, woman, uh, his mother's womb again and, and be born. Uh, and so he had to be moved from that literal interpretation into the spiritual application. Pretty much you see the same thing here with this woman. She's taken Jesus' words of living water as literal, uh, okay, you say you have this living uh, water, Where are you gonna, how are you going to get it? You don't have anything uh, to draw with. Uh, so he's having to bring her, as he did Nicodemus, into a spiritual uh, situation or atmosphere. So she says... Uh, this living water that you speak of, uh, you don't have anything to draw with. Do uh, you think that you're greater than our father Abraham? In providing us this well, uh, he provided for himself and all of his livestock and all the people around. Pretty good feat. We still have the well today that we are enjoying. And uh, are you saying that, that you're greater than uh, Abraham. 
And of course, Jesus answered and said, you know, if you drink of this water and this well that Abraham provided for her uh, before for you, you'll thirst again. You'll reach a point where you'll need more water. You get thirsty, you need more water. But the living water that I'm offering you, uh, if one partakes of it, will never thirst. And that will bring within him it will uh, a flowing, overflowing fountain unto eternal life. Spiritual. So Jesus points out the difference between the natural water and the living water that he's offering her. Natural water satisfies temporarily. It's earthly, natural, but temporal. Living water satisfies completely and is without end. And whoever drinks natural water will eventually die. It only keeps them alive for so long, but whoever drinks of the spiritual living water will never die. And we know, of course, that Jesus was referring to himself and the truth that he imbibes. And that if we drink of him, or that that we do drink of him, the living water, when we obey his truth, and we obey his word. Okay, well, at this point in in verse 15, uh, her interest is, is... Picking up a little bit. It's a little different from the very beginning of the conversation. So she says, okay, uh, sir, give me some of this water. I'm, I'm interested. I, I would like to have this water so that I'll not be thirsty nor come all this way to uh, draw water. So she shifted from, uh, I guess you could say, disbelief and doubt to curiosity. Uh, She's asking him two questions. Could she have this water? And if she could, would it mean that she would not have to come out here every day at this time to fetch water? Well, he tells her, and it's interesting here, I don't know that I completely understand Jesus' reasoning here, but at this point, and of course, Jesus knows the heart. He knows this woman. He knew her. He knew that he was going to encounter her. So at this point, when she's asking him, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty anymore and I don't have to do this every day, he all of a sudden says, uh, go call your husband and come back. This out of the blue. Go get your husband and come back here. And of course she said, I don't have a husband. I don't know, I can imagine maybe a, a little slight grin on, on Jesus. And he said, uh, uh, well, yeah, that's the truth. Uh, because uh, you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. So uh, he responds to her when she said, give me this living water by delving into her personal life. What happened to the pretty tone I heard yesterday? That is saying to me, wrong answer. But she responds honestly. (laughs) 
And Jesus reacts to her openness by revealing more of his own true nature and showing his intimate knowledge of her past, especially her sinful past. And this may be why she was there alone at noon drawing water. Uh, could be that she had a reputation, that she was shunned by the other women in the city. They, had nothing, they, they wanted nothing to do with her. And so in order to uh, get away from that awkwardness, she just chose at the middle of the day, when nobody else is doing it, to come out here and draw water. Uh, okay, we're going to have to stop here at uh, about verse 20. And we'll pick up here next week, the Lord willing.